Do you watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? Because if you do watch that show or Days of Our Lives, you probably know Lisa Rena. But did you know that in 1960, her mother Lois survived a serial killer? Though Lois was friendly with David Carpenter and his wife, so she didn't think twice about jumping in his car when he offered to take her to see their new baby. But then he veered off onto a deserted road and climbed on top of her with a claw hammer in one hand and a knife in the other. Luckily, a military police officer happened to be nearby and he comes running over to help. But even though David sees him coming, he just keeps hitting her with the hammer. He served seven years and he was out by 1969. Lois obviously survived the attack and went on to give birth to a television star, but she was one of the lucky ones. 10 other people didn't make it. And the last face they saw was the Trailside Killers. Welcome to True Crime Recaps. I'm Amy, and this is the only channel bringing you all the crime in half the time. So if you want to fit in a story before that baby wakes up, we got you. And remember, tap like and subscribe so you never miss a recap. It only takes a second, but it means the world to us. So let's go back to 1979. Between that year and 1981, you couldn't go hiking in the Bay Area without seeing the same ominous signs. Warnings lined the hiking trails of Point Reyes National Seashore and Mount Tamalpais State Parks. Don't hike alone. A killer was on the loose. Bodies were turning up in shallow graves along the trail, sexually assaulted and killed by a single gunshot wound to the head or multiple stab wounds to the torso. Meanwhile, psychologists and police were wasting their time looking for the wrong man. They should have been looking for David Carpenter, a sex offender in his early 50s who'd been in and out of jail since he was 17. His story fit the serial killer blueprint to a T, yet he freely stalked the California hiking trails for almost two years. David's known victims were mostly college-age kids, six women and one man who thought they'd enjoy a long hike through the beautiful California forests. Instead, they came face-to-face with a psychopath and his 38 caliber revolver. David ordered them off trail where he violated, shot, and left them for dead. It began in August 1979 with a victim that didn't really seem to fit his usual mold. 44-year-old Etta Kane was hiking on the Mount Tam trails overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge. Her husband called the police when she never came home, and a search party swarmed the mountain looking for the missing housewife. They came up empty on day one, but they made a gruesome discovery by dawn the following day. They found Etta's naked body in a kneeling position, dead of a single gunshot wound to the back of the head. They assumed that her killer was standing behind her, execution style, before stealing her credit card and sunglasses. Well, one dead woman on the mountain wasn't enough to cause widespread panic, but the body count grew as summer turned to fall. On October 21st, 1979, some hikers spotted a set of bloody keys along the trail at Lands Inn in San Francisco. They followed the path a bit further and discovered the mutilated body of 23-year-old Mary Bennett. Her killer had stabbed her 25 times and left her body under a makeshift grave of twigs and dirt. The body was still warm when they found it. Her killer was under their noses. According to one source, a group of golfers even heard her blood-curdling screams but ignored them. Months passed without another body. Etta and Mary's cases got colder by the day, and with no leads, evidence, or witnesses to go on, police could only hope that their killer would make a mistake. 
In March 1980, 23-year-old Barbara Schwartz went hiking on Mount Tam with her dog. Now, David lunged at her from behind a tree and attacked with a 10-inch boning knife. Can you imagine? Unknown to him, though they weren't alone, a woman walking behind Barbara hid behind a tree and witnessed the whole attack. She wasn't close enough to accurately describe David, but she could tell he was stabbing a woman. So she ran for help and returned later with police. And that's when they found Barbara's body, dead of multiple stab wounds. He was long gone, but they were sure that whoever did this was responsible for Eddie Kane and Mary Bennett. Unfortunately, eyewitnesses sometimes remember things wrong, especially if you just happen to come across a fellow hiker being stabbed to death. You're going to panic. Well, in this case, the witness described David as a slim 25-year-old man, which could not be more wrong. The only thing useful that they got from the scene was a pair of prison-issued glasses. So right away, they could tell that their killer was either an escaped convict or an inmate that had just been released. So now with three bodies and no solid leads, the police were urging people, especially young women, not to go hiking alone. But, you know, not everybody wants to let some crazy killer ruin Mother Nature for them. 26-year-old Ann Alderson wanted to spend her Columbus Day weekend on Mount Tam. Several people saw her jogging on the trails and the park caretaker spotted her alone in the 5,000-seat amphitheater watching the sunset. Considering the recent murders, he thought about warning her, a young woman sitting alone in the coming darkness is an easy target, but she seemed at peace and he didn't want to disturb her. So between the warning signs and the evening news, he figured everyone hiking in that area knew the risks. Well, her body was found on October 15th, dead of three gunshot wounds. She was left close to where they found Etta's body the year before. The only difference was that David violated Anne, then allowed her to get dressed before he forced her to her knees and shot her three times. And there was still more bodies to be found. On November 30th, police were searching Point Reyes National Seashore Park, and they discovered two more bodies, 25-year-old Shauna May and 22-year-old Diana O'Connell. They were strangers to each other, even though they died side by side. They began hiking the Friday before from opposite ends of the trail. Their respective friends reported them missing when neither one of them returned, but they were both found naked in the woods next to each other, dead from gunshot wounds to the head. One of Diana's friends had been hiking about 100 yards ahead of her when she noticed a man standing in the bushes. He said that he was relieving himself, but something about him gave her the creeps, probably because he's a man in the bushes in the woods relieving himself. So she walked a little faster, but when she looked back for Diana, she was gone. The November 30th search uncovered two more decomposing bodies in a shallow grave about half a mile from Shauna and Diana, and once again killed at gunpoint. Richard Stowers and Cynthia Moreland. They were a newly engaged teenage couple ready to spend the rest of their lives together. They set out hiking, but never returned after crossing paths with David. Based on their decomposition, police believed that they'd been dead for six weeks, and they were found about 15 miles away from where Anne was killed. So there were either two trail killers on the loose or their suspect knew that Mount Tam was getting hot and decided to change venues. Visitor traffic at the park slowed to a crawl. The once bustling hiking trails looked more like the streets of a ghost town. Hiking in pairs wasn't even safe anymore. The rangers recommended hiking in groups, like three or four, but most people just, they were like, I'm going to stay, I'm good, I'm going to stay home. Signs along Point Reyes continued warning people about the killings and deputies stationed themselves 
on Mount Tam to stop and warn drivers. They were patrolling the trails on horseback, hoping to find their killer hiding in the brush. In late 1980, a team of psychologists came up with a physical and psychological profile of the killer. They suspected that he was a handsome Casanova type between 28 and 35 who could put on a winning personality like a mask and somehow lure these young women off the trail with his silver tongue. They believed he acted for the thrill of killing rather than the sexual gratification. And they could not have been more wrong. David Carpenter was a San Francisco native born in 1930. He grew up in a toxic family, suffered regular abuse from his drunk father and his mommy dearest mother. He struggled with a bad stutter and he wet the bed more often than not. He was also pretty cruel to animals, in case you need more evidence to prove that serial killer blueprint. Well, he was charged with his first sex crime at the age of 17 after, get this, molesting his three-year-old cousin, and he just got worse from there. A psych report from 1970, when David was 40, warned about a future full of violent crime. According to the good doctor, ever since the age of eight, whenever he was under significant stress, he would commit a sex offense. The only way he can think straight is to rape the nearest female, said the psychiatrist, who immediately washed her hands of the human race and started only treating animals. Ten months after his release in 69, David attacked five more women. In January 1970, he held a woman at knife point on a deserted road in Santa Cruz County. According to court documents, he stabbed her three times and attempted to violate her, but we're not sure what happened next. If she got away, if someone drove by, or if he just had some kind of miraculous change of heart. The next day, he broke into a home in the Santa Cruz Mountains. He grabbed the homeowner's shotgun and kidnapped the woman who lived there. He bound her hands behind her back, drove out to a secluded area, and assaulted her. A few days later, on February 3rd, he carjacked another woman in Calaveras County. He then drove out to Angel's Camp, this is a town like west of Yosemite, and kidnapped another woman and her infant son. He forced her to drive them all out to a remote spot where he assaulted her while holding a gun to the baby's head. His crime spree led to a second conviction in 1970 for which he could and probably should have gotten a life sentence. Instead, he spent less than 10 years in jail and he was free in 1979. Three months later, police found Etta Kane's body. You see, here's what happened. David was turned over to federal custody at the end of his second prison term. That means that he wasn't among the 58,000 people on California's sex offender registry. And he wasn't added to the list of potential trailside killer suspects because He wasn't on that registry. And apparently, they didn't think that he looked like the eyewitness descriptions, which he didn't. In late March of 1981, UCAL Davis students Stephen Hartle and Ellen Hansen spent the weekend camping in the Santa Cruz Mountains. They spent Saturday night under the stars in sleeping bags before they headed out to Monterey on Sunday morning. Well, they came back to their Redwood campsite that afternoon and decided to take a hike. That's when they saw a man walking toward them, about a mile from the observation deck. And they passed him without saying a word. And once they'd walked far enough, took in the sights, Steve and Ellen turned back toward their campsite. Well, moments later, they saw the same man from before. It was David. But this time, instead of passing them silently, David said, oh, we meet again, before pulling out a black revolver and pointing it at them. 
He ordered them to do as he said. And Ellen, obviously a true crime fan, is like, don't listen to him. Don't do what he says. Don't go to the second location. But Steve is pleading for their lives. They still have this gun pointed at them as complete chaos. And David is completely trying to keep the situation calm. He's very calmly, listen to me, do what I say. And then he creeps toward them and looks at Ellen and says, I want to rape you. So Steve jumps in saying, no, I won't let you. But there's not much you can do when a man's pointing a gun at your face. Steve trips and falls and David fired a bullet into the back of his neck. He remembered feeling like someone took a sledgehammer to his head before he passed out. And when he woke up, he was looking at Ellen's body. Her head was in a pool of blood next to him. And he gets to his feet with blood pouring out his neck and he just goes for help. And meanwhile, while he's headed toward the observation deck, he sees David walking away. Well, now the father-son duo of Leland and Kenneth Fritz were walking in the park earlier that afternoon when they had noticed David standing on the observation deck with binoculars and he seemed to be watching the trail. And then he headed out in that direction because he just saw two victims. And not long after that, they heard gunshots. So they were on their way to investigate when Steve comes around the bend. He tells them what happened, and the Fritzes helped him back to the observation deck, where they left him with another couple, Fred and Maureen Moores. Thankfully, Maureen was a nurse's assistant and could apply quick first aid. Without her, Steve would have bled out. So Fred walked down the trail to look for Ellen when he crossed paths with David. And he kept walking, and Fred thought nothing of it, because... You know, someone had been shot down there. Maybe this guy's going for help. Not that guy is the shooter. And just like a scene from a movie, David walked right by Steve and Maureen. And with a surge of adrenaline, Steve gets up and shouts, that's the guy who shot me. But he was too far away by that point for anybody to catch up with him. So by the time police showed up, Ellen had died from her gunshot wounds. And Steve went immediately into surgery so they could remove the bullet, which had missed an artery by two inches. David claimed his last victim in May 1981 when he offered to drive 20-year-old Heather Skaggs to Santa Cruz so she could buy a new car. She and David actually knew each other. They worked together at a local print shop. But according to Heather's mother, David told the 20-year-old to bring cash for the car and not tell anyone. Well, this made Heather's boyfriend highly suspicious and rightfully so. And even Heather called her mom worrying about how the trip with David didn't feel right. And her mother begged her not to go, but Heather didn't want to pass up the chance at a new car. Her last words were, don't worry about it, mom. Heather was last seen alive on May 2nd, 1981, while she's waiting outside a convenience store for David to pick her up. On May 24th, some hikers in Big Basin State Park found her naked and decomposing body. She'd been sexually assaulted and shot once in the face with a 38 caliber pistol. Well, her boyfriend confronted David after Heather's disappearance, and he said, yeah, they agreed to meet at that convenience store, but he overslept and missed her. Police questioned him, too, and one officer noticed a resemblance between David and the police sketches that... Steve had given of his attacker, but David wasn't dumb. He knew that Steve would remember his face, so he had stopped wearing his glasses and started growing out a beard. But then, you won't believe this, but it's all true. Like some kind of miracle, a 69-year-old woman came forward claiming to recognize David from a cruise that she'd taken 26 years before in 1955. She remembered that David was giving her and her then 14-year-old daughter the creeps after he'd put his hands on her daughter's shoulders. And you know that must have been some kind of creepy vibe, like, for the ages, 
Bird still be traumatized all those years later. She'd even reported him as a potential suspect in the Zodiac killings, but he was eventually ruled out because he would have been in jail at the time. So between the old lady's story and Heather's disappearance, police had enough to hold David and get Stephen to make a positive ID. Now, Steve easily picked him out of a lineup as the trail killer of Southern California, even with a beard and without his glasses. They found the final puzzle piece, his 38 revolver, buried in an abandoned construction site. He had loaned it to a friend who hid the gun after committing a bank robbery with his wife. That friend testified against David. So he was officially charged with all seven murders, but tried separately for the two in Santa Cruz County and the five in Marin. And to avoid mass publicity, the courts moved the trials to L.A. and San Diego. And Steve played the role of star witness at each trial, which ended with a resounding guilty verdict. He got the death penalty in both trials, although they could never prove his involvement with Etta Kane, Barbara Schwartz, or Mary Bennett. But police cut a break in Mary's case in February of 2010 when DNA evidence linked David to the crime scene. Etta's and Barbara's cases remain unsolved, though most believe that David was responsible. As of 2022, David is still alive because the really evil ones never seem to die, do they? He's the oldest inmate on San Quentin's death row at 92 years old. Unbelievable, but at least they didn't set him free again. Well, I don't know about you, but this story is enough to keep me off the hiking trails. How about you? And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.